0: Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to have you guys with us here today. It has already been such a good day in the house of the Lord today. I needed to be here. I needed to be home. I needed to be with my family, and I needed to be in worship this morning. And so, man, I'm just honored that you're here with us. If it's your first time with us, welcome. We are so honored to have you here. When you came through the door, you saw a sign that said, Welcome Home, but I hope you didn't just read Welcome Home this morning. I hope you felt it right here. And so uh, we're happy to have you. I've got a couple things to share with you this morning. Um, I'll get started. If, uh, if you were here last Sunday, uh, then you know that um, last weekend I wasn't here. Robbie had to fill in for me. Um, my daughter, Dagny, was in the ICU um, last Saturday, let me tell you first that she's healthy, she's happy, she's home, she's good. Praise God. Yeah. She's goofy as ever. So uh, last Saturday, um, my my wife and I had been awake all night. Uh, our daughter Dagny was screaming and just going crazy for water, saying she was thirsty and uh, clutching at the water bottle. She's about 21 pounds. And over the course of the night, we gave her about 60 ounces of water. And so we just thought something's not right. We need to, to get this checked out. And Normally, I'm a, uh, I, I'm a let's wait and see kind of dad when it comes to going to the doctor. Or normally, I'm a, if it's the weekend especially, I'm a let's give it till Monday kind of dad. But I, I called my dad and asked him what he thought. And he said, well, let's, maybe you should t- take her in if, if they've got a clinic. So I said, yeah, all right. You know, I don't want to be awake all night tonight. So we took her in, and within an hour, we were in the ICU. Um, Dagny has type 1 diabetes. Uh, we didn't know. And uh, oftentimes, when you're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, the way that you find out is you get very sick. And so she was very sick. And um, the incredible people at Mission Hospital uh, were amazing. They they walked us through the process with such grace and such precision and such speed. Um, Dagny was feeling better the next day, and we spent a couple nights there, really, so that Rayel and I could learn how to manage this new phase of life. Um, Dagny's life will always be different. Now she's got a chronic illness, essentially what what diabetes. T- I didn't know anything about diabetes. A week ago. All I knew about diabetes a week ago was that Wilford Brimley says that I can get my diabetes supplies delivered straight to my door through Liberty Medical Supply. That was it. That was all I knew. And I thought, this is great. That's great, Wilfred. He was real excited about it, so I knew that was important. I knew a few people with type 2 diabetes, and, uh, and, I, and I just assumed that's just too much sweet tea, and your body's like, enough with the sweet tea. Let's shift. You know, let's try water. I didn't know anything about it. And what I learned last weekend was the diabetes type 1 is very different than type 2. That Dagny, uh, her immune system attacks every bit of insulin that her pancreas produces and destroys it. Um, It's an autoimmune disease. And so she'll never be able to produce her own insulin as it sits right now. Uh, So what that means... Is that Raelle and I, for the rest of uh, until she's old enough to do it on her own, have to manage this balance. Um, Insulin is basically what digests your food for you, it turns your sugars and your carbohydrates into energy. And so, without insulin, uh, you get very sick because you get too much of this in your body and your body tries to get rid of it. But with man-made insulin, it can make you very sick because it doesn't auto-adjust like your body's insulin does. All this to tell you that this week, we've been learning how to be doctors and nurses for our daughter. Uh, we've been learning how to, as her parents, perform one of the functions of her organs. Um, if, she is, if her sugar gets too low, she gets really sick. If it gets too high, she gets really sick. So we have to keep her in the middle. So we've been really anxious and scared. We've been grieving, we've been mad, Uh, we have been depressed, we have felt all of it. Uh, We have wanted to fix our daughter, and we can't. And so it has been a hard, hard week, and you have made it so much better for us. One of the things that we've were that we been praying about, we ended 21 days of prayer yesterday. And 21 days of prayer is such an important season for our church. I hope that you engaged in it, that you leaned into it. And if you did, I hope that God spoke fresh vision for your life, that he woke things up in you that were long asleep, that you got breakthrough, that you feel closer to him, that you've developed a prayer habit that you can carry on. Past 21 days of prayer would turn into 21 weeks of prayer, would turn into 21 months of prayer would turn into 21 years of prayer would turn into whatever comes next. After that, I run out of 21s, but that you would just be so blessed by it as we were. But one of the things I've been praying for was that God would open my eyes and break my heart and the heart of this church more and more for the people in our city who do not have a relationship with Jesus, who are lost and without hope, who who don't have the purpose and the meaning and the joy and all of it that I have. And this past week, um, you showed us so much kindness. So many of you brought us meals, flowers, cards. You've called, you've texted, you've been praying for us, and we have felt it. And I just need you to know that this has been the hardest week of my life and that it has been bearable because of my family and my church family and the hope I have in Jesus. And, I, and, and my heart has been broken all week because there are so many people in our city, parents of children with life-changing diagnosis, who don't have this family, who don't have the hope that I have. And I don't know how they're getting through it. And so I feel so much more urgent today to take what we have right here in this room, in this place, in this family, the hope I have right here, and share it with as many people as I can. We have got to bring the gospel of Jesus, the hope of Jesus Christ into this city more and more and more. They need it. They need it. They need it. So thank you for showing me what the church is this week. We've been so blessed by it. To make matters worse, I'll tell you this, in case I'm a little scattered today, it's because I've been grieving this week, but it's also uh, because on uh, Wednesday, my daughter Dagny was sitting at the bottom of the stairs and I wanted to make her laugh because then you got to know this is who I am all the time and it's amplified when I'm grieving and I just thought I want to make her laugh and some, for some reason, the way my brain thought was the best course of action next was to jump from halfway up the stairs over my just out of the ICU daughter and land on the other side and go like that so that she would laugh at me. And when I decided to do that, I forgot to calculate the door frame at the bottom of the stairs. And so what I did was I jumped with all of my strength head first into a door frame, (laughs) saw a bright flash of light, I lost an hour of time, woke up three hours later, and I have a concussion. And so if, um, and I'm standing here under bright lights, And it's all very confusing to me. And so if I skip around or I just start praying and think I'm finished and that I've preached the whole thing, give me a little bit of grace. It's been a hard week, okay? I got a a couple things that I need to tell you before I get into it because I'm really excited about this season for our church. Uh, We are about to start fall. Um, School got started for a lot of families this past week, and that kicks off a new rhythm for us. A lot of people, in fact, many of you are here this morning because your rhythm is kicking back into normal. A lot of people, new people are going to come through our doors over the next few months, and that's just the way that it. every year we see the same thing. We see all this growth Through the fall, and and here here's here's what I want to tell you: is that we are ready and we are excited, and it is time to bring the hope of the church, the hope of the world, the hope of Jesus Christ to our community more and more in as many ways as we can. And so next Sunday, we're starting with a vision Sunday. All I'm gonna do, what I wanna do is preach. The vision. I want to share my heart with you. I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart and from a lot of scripture why the gathering is who the gathering is why we need to be here what our role is in this city and so that's next sunday vision sunday and then after that we're starting a new series called back to school back to school because we all relate to going back to school this time of year whether you got kids going back to school or you can you see that school bus going by in your morning commuting you can still remember that september feeling you can still remember new shoes and a lunchbox with your favorite cartoon character and getting on a bus with no heat or no AC and a little window that cracks a little bit to circulate the air. I can still smell the vinyl in that thing. And so what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is really what I want to do is take us back to school because there's two groups of people that I think really need this series. There's the Christian that's been a Christian for a while, and what happens is when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we've got all this excitement and all of this desire to learn and all of this this uh, need to share, but then the further we get from our moment of conversion, the closer we can get to complacency. And so I want to take us back to school and remind us of the first love that we had and all the things that excited us at first. And then after that, and then, and then for everybody who's, who's in your life, who you've been praying for, who you've been thinking about, who doesn't know Jesus yet, this is a great opportunity for them to learn who he really is. And so I am, I am so excited. I hope you've been praying about your part, uh, about how God would use you on the dream team to be a part of the mission of the local church in this city and about how God would use you to bring the people who you have a network with who I don't through these doors into this place so that they can experience what I got to experience this past week. Uh, today, we're wrapping up our series called The Book of Prayers. And... Um, this series has been about, for us, it has, it has really been about learning to pray. Because here's what I know I know that prayer can be difficult. And that if you were to talk to a room full of Christians about one of the most difficult aspects of being a Christian and growing closer to Jesus, most people would say, I struggle with prayer. We don't know what to say. We understand that it's important, but we don't know how to communicate or or what we're supposed to ask for or what we're not allowed to ask for. We have hesitation because we don't know what God is basing his answers on and if he's going to answer. It feels like we're talking to a wall sometimes. And so there's all kinds of confusion and hesitation around prayer. And so through this series, all we've wanted to do is bring some clarity and give you some models and some systems and some practical tools that you can go home and use. I've I've just taught two of the prayers that I use, the ways that I pray. I'm not good at it naturally. I'm ADHD. My brain without a concussion is all over the map. They asked me if I had confusion and memory loss. I said, well, was it a Wednesday? I mean, yes. And so I I just want to be able to share a little bit about what's blessed me. And so the first week, I took you through a long prayer called the Tabernacle Prayer. And then the second week, we did the prayer of Jabez, which is just learning how to ask God for blessing and what that means. He loves that prayer. He wants to bless us. Uh, and so last week, by the way, let me share some honor on a family this morning, Robbie and Chelsea. Um, Robbie Robbie is, uh, don't look at me. Look over there. <laughs> Robbie will tell you, if you ask him what his job is, he does everything. He, he, I mean, he does more than you will ever know to make this church happen. But he will tell you that his role is to support me and the vision God's placed on my heart. There's not a pastor in this country that supports their lead pastor better than Robbie Denson. And please... I had a hard summer and so Robbie picked up a lot of the slack and he he led this church for a lot of it. He preached a lot of weekends this summer and has helped me so much already and he had a vacation last week to recover from that. And I knew he needed that vacation, but I was sitting in the ICU studying my message uh, for Sunday and I knew I couldn't preach the next day and so I called Robbie on his vacation and he just said, "Hey man, I'm crying. I'm telling him what's going on with my daughter." And he just stopped me and he said, hey man, do you need me? And I said, yeah, I need you. And he said, then you, you don't think about anything else. And he just got in the car, he ate some crab legs first and then he got in the car <laughs> <laughs> and brought his family off their vacation early and came up here and preached a message he wasn't prepared to preach. That's who he is. And so you, we are just so blessed to have such good people in this church and I'm just so grateful for you. So anyways, I would have preached last week about the Lord's Prayer, and maybe I'll save that for another day, but uh, today what I want to talk about is um, who we pray to. I want to answer the question, why does God answer our prayers? Why does God answer our prayers? And I think this will give us some clarity around who we're praying to and how to pray and what to say and, and how to ask for it. I, I was looking at different models of prayer, and what we, what we settled on, is one prayer in the Bible that talks about the full character of God. And so theologians believe that God's character is eightfold, that there's eight aspects of who he is, that there's a name for each aspect of who he is. And there's one prayer in the Bible that, ta- that, that walks through all eight aspects of his character. And so I want to share this with you this morning so that you will know who it is you're praying to, so you'll know that the prayers that he always answers, the promises he's given you, and you'll have a better understanding of his character when you approach him. This is a prayer that is the most common psalm in the Bible. Most of us know it, and most people know it and enjoy it because it makes us feel something. And it makes us feel something because you were created and designed To know God. You were made for it. That's why this wakes something up in you. Let's read Psalm 23 together this morning. Let me look at it. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's break this passage down a little bit this morning and learn a little bit about who God is. First, you are my shepherd, we are his sheep. He is our shepherd. A shepherd's role is to protect, to give direction, to give meaning, to give purpose, to give comfort, to give care. And you have a shepherd who is not distant or foreign. You have a shepherd who is personal and near. You, the psalmist says, you are my shepherd. You need to know that God doesn't just want you to know about him. He doesn't just want you to know of him. He doesn't just want you to to loosely know him. He wants you to know him personally. The Bible talks all throughout Scripture. There's m- tons of references about God being a shepherd and sheeps and lambs, and it just it's littered all throughout the pages of Scripture, shepherd imagery. In fact, one, one of the, the most powerful stories, Jesus is telling a series of stories in Luke 15 about the ways that God pursues those of us who have wandered away. And I think the most powerful is, illustration is one of a shepherd who has a 100 sheep And there's 99 sheep who are still together and who are safe because they're in community and they're together. But there's one sheep that's wandered away and the shepherd cares so much for all of his sheep that he would leave these 99 to go pursue this one. That's your father. He is your shepherd. In fact, the the Hebrew word for this is Jehovah Reha. Jehovah Reha. That word Reha is the same word we translate as pastor. He is my pastor. And he does for me what I would expect a pastor to do. I hope you have a pastor. If it's not me, that, it, that maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're here visiting and you've got a pastor in your hometown, or, or maybe it's your life group leaders who really leans in to care for you. Whoever it is, you need. A pastor, you need somebody to, to give you guidance, to give you, lead. I have a pastor. I have three pastors who give me guidance and leadership and comfort and wisdom who, who help me grow spiritually. And the Bible says you need that in real life, but it says you also need that through the good shepherd. You are my shepherd. You are my God. The Lord is my shepherd. John ten fourteen. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In Revelation 7:17, 7, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. He's taking you somewhere, and he's taking you somewhere good. And he wants you to follow him, and he wants to know you personally, and he wants to be your shepherd. First one is, you are my shepherd. Second is, you are my provider. I shall not want Here's what I know about people. We tend to try to be our own provider. We think that provision and and providing is our responsibility. This is a great lie of the devil, that you are responsible for providing for your needs and the people under your care. And so we put all of our our, 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 our need and we put all of our, our, this isn't the concussion, I've just lost a word. We put all of our desire under searching to be our own provider. We pursue position. We pursue authority. We pursue power. We pursue financial success. We pursue all the things that would bring us comfort and what we believe would bring us security. We try to figure out what are the different ways that I can be my provider. But every single step that we make closer to what we think is the provision we need leaves us wanting more. And there's a reason for that. Because all of those things that we try to provide for ourselves, money, power, people, all the things that we're trying to fill our own needs are really things that we're using to fill a gap we have inside of us. And that gap you have inside of you can only be filled by your shepherd. It's only with him shall you not want. I shall not want. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul. He's the only one who can make you feel like your needs are being met. He is my provider. God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I think we just try to be our own provider too much. My toddler tries to do this. Dagny tries to do this. She wants to get her own snack. She wants to, when she's got a poopy diaper, she tries to help. Let me tell you what the outcome is when she tries to help. It makes a huge mess that I now have to clean up. And when we try to be our own provider, we make a mess of it. We leave ourselves more empty and more wanting and more in search of something to fill it. He is our provider. He provides what we need. In in Matthew chapter six, Jesus tells everybody that he's teaching. He says, listen, I know that all of life is giving you stress and anxiety, that you're you're, you're searching for clothing and food and shelter gives you all this stress and worry and anxiety, but you just need to seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. He knows what you need. He can see it. He is your provider and no one will give you the satisfaction that your shepherd can't wait to provide you with. He is my provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Third, you are my peace. You are my peace. Psalm 23.2. <laughs> By the way, when I pray, I work through these a lot. When I'm one of the every prayer in Scripture opens with worship. It opens by declaring who God is, because we we pray under the authority of His name. And so, whenever I open Scripture or whenever I open prayer, because this is what every prayer in Scripture does, I worship. And I I don't know if you're like me, but without the right language, I don't always know what to say in worship. I mean, I know the posture, you know, I know I know how to submit myself to God. I'll say, God, I worship you. But then I'll pretty much just say, God, I worship you a bunch of times in some creative ways. It helps to know His name. God, I worship you because you are my peace. And he doesn't just bring us peace. He doesn't just offer peace. He is peace. It's different. He is peace. Isaiah says, you are the prince of peace. This is one of Jesus' names. Peace. His name is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Of peace, He is peace. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. This is the God I've needed this week. I've just needed peace. I've felt like a storm's been raging in my heart and my mind, and I've just felt so uncertain and so anxious and so worried, and I just need peace. God, you are my peace. You lead me beside still waters. You make me lie down in green pastures. I like that it says he makes me lie down. Do you have someone in your life who makes you lie down sometimes, who tells you you need to slow down, who tells you you need to stop? My wife does this for me. I do this for her the other night. She was stress cleaning at like 1130 at night. And I said, Raelle, you need to go to bed. He makes me lie down, and these aren't regular green. These are bug-free green pastures. Okay, these are the you can actually. I read that passage. I think I can't rest there. What if there's chiggers? I want to rest in a, a green pasture. Get all itchy? No, these are the kind of green pastures that you see on a screensaver. There's not a bug in there. It's just a peaceful place where you can feel at rest, where you can feel a rest like you've never felt before, where your whole spirit and soul can just say. Ah, I'll walk by quiet waters. God, quiet the waters of my soul. It feels like a raging river right now, like I'm walking over a waterfall. I need you to lead me beside still waters. He is peace. Sometimes we are our own enemy of peace. Sometimes we need him to make us lie down because we say yes to too much. Parents, it is the season of yes. You got kids in school and suddenly you're signing them up for ballet and gymnastics and soccer and baseball and the debate team and the math team and the dancing team and the puzzle team. And the, and you're just like, yes, 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 yes. They're gonna be the best at everything. There's no way this kindergartner's getting into Harvard if they don't join all of these extracurriculars right now. We gotta say yes and next thing you know, your minivan's got 100,000 miles on it after one week and you're all, you look like somebody else You haven't bathed in seven days, and you just people keep asking you if your hair is wet, and you're like, no. It's not. And, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you, we are the enemy of peace in our lives. We let too much stress and too much strain in. Our boss says, "Can you take this project?" and we say, "Yes." And they say, "Can you lead this?" and we say, "Yes." More money, more provision for myself, more for my kids, more for my family. And there's a, a verse in Ecclesiastes that we think that says we think that it's better to have one. That Solomon says it's better to have one hand fistful than two hands grasping. See, we think it's better to fill up both of our hands and to grasp at everything we can, but we're robbing ourselves of peace. God is peace. And he wants to make you lie down in green pastures and walk you behind still waters. We need to learn to say no, and we need to learn to trust him more for our peace. I needed his peace this week, and he has met me with his peace. His peace is different. It says in Isaiah 40, 11, He tends his flock. There it is again. He tends his flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lambs up in his arms and he carries them close to his heart and he gently leads those who have young. Parents, he's got your kids. He's got them wrapped up. He's got Dagny wrapped up in his arms right now and it says he gently leads those who have young. He just wants to offer you peace. He wants to be peace in your life. Let him bring peace. This is who God is. He is Jehovah Shalom. Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world gives false peace. Gives peace that is fleeting. Peace that doesn't last. Peace that costs money. Peace that we can't grasp, that we can't hold, that still leaves something missing in here. Jesus says, I don't give you that kind of peace. So I don't give you a get better quick scheme. I give you my peace, my peace. I leave you. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He is peace. He is peace. He is my healer. He is my healer. Psalm 23, three. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Two things. First, God still heals our bodies. He heals physical bodies. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It's happening now. It's happening today. He can heal it. There's not a single thing that he can't heal. He is the healer. He is the healer. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. But there is something more important than your physical body that needs healing. Because guess what? The John Mark you're looking at right now, this ain't me. I'm 6'2 in my spiritual body, okay? There's an eight pack of abs waiting for me on the other side of glory, okay? I'm just telling you. This physical body is frail. It is temporary. It will pass away. But my spirit is eternal. And there is a sickness in many of us. There is an illness in our soul that we have got to treat. We've got to let the only one who can heal it, heal it. There's not a single doctor in this world that can restore your soul. Only Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, can restore your soul. His desire is to give back to you everything the devil has taken. He is the one who heals your soul. And you know what? He gives us resources and tools to do it. And it's his people and it's his church. In Isaiah 61, Jesus is, is, reads it when, in Luke chapter 5 and declares this is who he is. And it talks about how God wants to give joy to those who mourn. He wants to free the captives. He wants to rebuild the ruins that were devastated. And then he says he wants to take all of those who he's fixed, who he's brought joy to, who he's healed, and he wants to set them up as oaks of righteousness so that they can rebuild the ruins long devastated. Here's how he wants to restore your soul. Through his Holy Spirit, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, and through the community of the church. Life group signups start today. It's almost like we planned it this way. Listen, you need community. You need to be in group. You need to get in there so you can start healing the parts of you that have been long devastated, that have been long broken. There are hang-ups that we need freedom from. I'm talking about our addictions and our habits and our hang-ups and the phases we go through in our minds and the lies we believe. Addiction, Addictions to porn, addictions to alcohol and drugs, our, our depression, our anxiety, our overwhelming stress, our low, low self-image, all of it, God wants to heal it. He wants to heal you. He wants to put you beside somebody who he is healing that can say, come with me, I'll show you the way. In, the, in life group, I'll tell you, we go in with these high expectations. We want it to be great. We want to find freedom. We want it. But first week of life group is terrible. You walk in there and there's somebody that talks way too much and you're like, oh my gosh. And, and then there's somebody that does, doesn't talk at all and they just stare and you think maybe they're staring at you and you're like, oh no. And then there's a guy that brought snacks even though it's not a snack night and so he didn't bring enough. And there's only a little bit. Everybody's waiting, staring at that last chip. Is somebody going to eat it or not? I don't know. And there's anxiety and there's stress. And the only thing you want to find freedom from is the room you are sitting in right now. Dear Jesus, deliver me from this place. Please, God, in the name of, and you just, you just get me out of here. It can be stressful. I know. I deal with it too in my house. I'm like, when will they leave this house, father? You know, but something happens. You get to know people a little bit. And, and you break the ice, and a couple weeks go by, and somebody takes the mask off. And they say, hey, here's, here's who I really am. And here's what I'm going through right now, and it hurts. And our expectation, what the enemy tells us, is that when we do that, when we take that mask off, everybody's going to point at us and say, look at you, what's wrong with you? But what really happens in those rooms is we take a mask off, and somebody else says, that's who I am too. I just came through that. Can I partner with you? Can I show you the hope that he showed me? Can I help walk you through this? You can find freedom in life groups. You can find freedom in real community. If you want to get serious about finding freedom, join a freedom group. Our freedom groups are intense. Anybody who's been through freedom group will tell you it is intense. We go into freedom group and on night one, minute five, mask comes off and, we, and it's just go time. Things get awkward real quick. But I will tell you, there are dozens of people in this room right now who've been through Freedom Group and who found freedom from things and patterns that they thought they would struggle with their entire lives. It works. I think everybody in here should go through a Freedom Group one semester. And guess what? Freedom Groups fill up first week usually. So you better sign up for it today. Join a life group and get in community and let God begin to heal what you didn't know could be healed. In 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, it says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. He is the healer. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, who is the guardian of your soul. He wants to restore your soul. Lean on the God who heals. He heals. Uh, number five, you are my righteousness. You are my righteousness. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice where the attention is. It's not on me. It's on him. I think a lot of times we think we are our righteousness. We think I'm, I'll join, I can't join a life group this semester because i got to get X, Y, and Z right in my life first. I can't be going into that place with them finding out who I am today. I need them to see me 2.0. Who That'll be later. I'll do that. i got to get this right in me. i got to... I got to get in this habit first, or I got to fix this thing first, or I got to make this thing okay first. And I, we, we think it relies on us To find our own righteousness and then we can appear before God. But you've got it backwards. He is your righteousness. He is the only one who can make you righteous. He makes you holy. He makes you worthy. He is the one who gives you the ability to approach his throne. It is through him. It is by his blood that we are healed. It is by him that we can approach him. And it is not a single thing we can do about it. And that's the good news. He is our righteousness. He is the one. He makes it possible. We, we approach him so that we can get better. He wants to heal you, but first got to know him. Know him personally. That's why we want people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Because when you know God personally, he is your righteousness. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. comfort, Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He's made you worthy. He is your righteousness. Jeho- Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is my Righteousness. Worship him because he is our righteousness. Six, you are my constant companion. Jehovah Shammah, you are my constant companion. It means there, that word, the God who is there. There everywhere, there in the ICU. There at my house on Monday night when we got home and felt like we were taking our first child home from the hospital again. He's there. He never leaves you. He's never not with you. Isn't this the best part of this passage? It says Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When we're in the valley, he's there. When we're up on the mountain, he's there. When we feel like he's a million miles away, he's there. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to come and be a part of us. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you have access to the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was there at creation, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He is a part of the living God, and he lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit is joined with my spirit like a braid. Just one thing put together. It can't be separated from me. You can't tear the Holy Spirit from my body. My own bad decisions can't remove the Holy Spirit from me. His presence is never not with me. Maybe in 21 days of prayer, you are praying for more of God's presence. God, I haven't felt you in a long time, and and I don't feel near you, and I feel like I'm so far from you, and and I I want to be close to you, God. And so I I ask for your presence, and his answer to you is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He is present, my constant companion. There is nothing you can do to be separated from the love of God. His presence is his love. He is with you all the time. He's never not there. Just because you don't feel him doesn't mean, can I be honest with you? On Saturday night, I did not feel him. I felt angry. There's a type of anger that you only get to experience when something is hurting your kid. And I just wanted diabetes to have a face that I could destroy. I was mad and and it didn't feel fair. And it felt like God shouldn't let this happen. And it felt like, why me and why her? She's 17 months old. And I went to worship him And I went to worship and to pray and I just felt like it was falling on deaf ears, like he's not hearing me. But here's what I know. He is my constant companion. He was there. He's there today and he was there and he's never left me and he will never leave you. Hebrews 13, God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. He's not far from you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't moved away from you. He's not distant from you. He's there. He can't not be. It's his nature, it's his name. He is there. So we say with confidence The Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. So with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Number seven, you are my defender. Psalm 23:5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. His name here is Jehovah Nissi. It means the banner of victory. Our God is the banner of victory. Do you know there's been a lot of books written and theology discussed about what this means to, to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? You know what I think? I think that the battle is over, the victory is won, there ain't nothing left to do but eat. That's it. all we got to do now is sit down and have a meal because God has won. It is over. He is our protector, He is our banner of victory. There is, we don't have to keep fighting our own battles. God is my protector, He fights for me. There's a great story about a man named, um, it's a true story about Hiro Onada. He was a Japanese soldier during World War II, and in 1944, he was stationed in the Philippines uh, in an outpost there with two other guys. And in 1945, the war ended, and they tried to tell Heru, but he didn't believe them. He said, no, that's just propaganda. You're just trying to trick me. This is from the enemy. This isn't from my commanding officer. I'm going to keep fighting this war. Heru was in the jungles of the Philippines fighting guerrilla warfare until 1974 for 30 years he thought the war was still going on. It only ended when they found his superior officer to go from World War II, went and searched for four days in the jungle to find him and said, Hero, the war is over. You are relieved of your duty. How long have you been fighting a battle that God has already declared the victory in? It's over. You need to learn that he is your protector. Quit trying to fight it on your own strength. I'm not going to keep trying to fight this battle on my own strength. I don't have to. God has already declared the victory. He is my banner of victory, and I lean on him. I trust him, and he will protect me. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Number eight, as we close this morning, you are my sanctifier, sanctifier. That's just a word that means you are the one who sets me apart. Psalm 23, five. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Jehovah, this one's hard. Jehovah, the God who sanctifies us. The God who sets us apart. You anoint my head. To be anointed means to have supernatural favor means that it's like having superpowers. It means that God, this is what happens to kings and priests. Kings and priests all throughout the Old Testament, they're anointed. God puts special favor on their life. They have a special job, a special mission, something that only comes from God, and they will only be able to accomplish it with his anointing. If God removes his anointing, they can no longer do what he's told them to do. It's a superpower. And that was the Old Testament, and the New Testament is better because now we are all the priesthood. He has anointed us, not just me, but you. First Peter says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I need you to know that I am anointed, that my ability to communicate with you the nature of God One week after my daughter got a lifelong chronic illness diagnosis, three days after I got a concussion, that's not my ability. It is the Holy Spirit's anointing on my life. And I need you to know that the same Spirit that has anointed me has anointed you. He's anointed you. He's put gifts in you. He's put power on you. He's put a calling on you. Students, listen to me. Six students getting baptized today. Six students. Come on, somebody. Look at my eyes. You are not students. You are anointed. You are called. You have a purpose. You are to go into those schools, not just to learn, but to carry a hope with you that is now inside of you that every single one of your classmates is desperately searching for. We are anointed we are a royal priesthood chosen. It says that he's going to give you so much, so much anointing, so much blessing that it's going to pour out of you onto the people closest to you. Get around somebody so somebody can experience his blessing. Get around somebody and use the anointing that he's laid on your life. Don't just let it sit there. Don't be anointed and just go about your life like nothing's happened. You've been anointed by the Most High God god you have a job to do it's time for us to do it together church fall is coming people are ready the harvest is ready but the workers are few those are the words of jesus it's time for us to step into the anointing he's placed upon us you need to discover your purpose you need to know why and how you're anointed. Come with us to Growth Track. Let us walk you through this process. What I believe is the local church is the hope of the world. And I experienced it all week this week. And somebody in your life is in desperate need of it. They want it, they don't know how to tell you how bad they want it. And you've got it. Partner with us. Get on the dream team. Start using the anointing he's given you and then use the influence he's given you. Pour that blessing out onto somebody close to you. Bring them in. Give them that invitation. Two of the most important invitations you can give anyone. The first is would you like to enter into a relationship with Jesus today? We think those words are so hard to say, so impossible to say. They're not. Did you hear how easy they came out of my mouth? They can come out of yours too. You have anointing. Would you like to enter into a relationship with Jesus today? Would you like to come sit with me at church on Sunday? Just come worship with me, come see what it's like. See how you feel, see, see how the people are. They're not all weird, some are, not all are. Come check it out, come to Life Group with me. We're just having dinner this week. Come sit around the table. You've just, you're anointed. Be anointed. This is who God is. Isn't this good? Isn't he good? I got to tell you, I, I know that outside our walls, there are people that don't know that this is who God is. In fact, there are too many people who think that he is vengeful, that he is angry, that he is boring. This God is Boring? My God who has taken me and completely transformed every part of my life and taken me on the greatest adventure I could ever imagine is boring, they think. That's on us. We can change it. We can tell them who he is. We can declare the nature of God. We can share his name with them. We can let them know what we know about him. And the more we know about him, the more we know him, the more we can pray to him, the more we know how to talk to him. Now, now you can say, God, I've got needs, and I know you will meet them because you are my provider. When I walk with you, I shall not want. God, I need care and comfort, but I know that you are my constant companion. You are with me, and I know that you are my peace, that you have peace, not like the world gives peace, but your peace, the kind that is complete and that is full. Full, and that just fills me from the inside out that in the worst week of my life, I can feel comforted and I can feel like I'm lying down in a bug-free pasture, God. This is who you are. This is who he is. Don't keep it to yourself. We gotta share it. Today, in just a few moments, we're gonna do baptisms. I don't wanna explain that to you before we pray. Baptism is like the adoption, the, sign, the the moment of adoption, the moment the papers are signed, the moment that it's official. This is our family now. You're here. You are now. You are my family. You are my brother. You are my sister. God says you are my child, and so it is a big, big deal. So when this service ends, we're going to go outside, and there is a horse trough out in the parking lot. And that's our holy hot tub today. And we're gonna have our folks line up there. And what I ask of you is every person, walk out those doors, grab your kids and then come out those doors and gather around that baptismal. And when they go under the water, let them come up to the sound of thunderous applause because guess what? That's what heaven sounds like today. And so let them come up with just a taste of heaven because that's their family forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are my provider. You meet needs that I have no power to meet on my own. You are my shepherd. You care for me in a way that no one else can or could. You You are my peace. You fill me with a peace that surpasses all understanding. God you are my healer you restore my soul father you you fill in things that were long broken long devastated holes i didn't think i would ever fill only you can you restore my soul god i worship you because of who you are i know that you don't answer my prayers because of who i am you answer my prayers because of who you are because it's you you are my righteousness you are my sanctifier you are the one who has called me who has seen me, who has cared for me, and so I worship you with all that I am today. In Jesus' name, amen.